the famous American politician, Benjamin Franklin, who was once the ambassador to London and to Paris, said this, in this world, nothing can be certain except death and taxes. One day, every person in this room and every person watching online, and thank you for taking the time to be with us, is going to die. It's as certain as night follows day. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how healthy you are tonight. One day, every person will die. And as you just saw demonstrated in that drama, there will be consequences of the choices that we make during life. Once you die, it will be too late. You can't rewind the clock. You won't get another chance. You can't do, in the words of a novel by a man called Jean-Paul Sartre, called Les Jus Sans Fait, or The Die Is Cast, you don't get to come back again. You don't get a rerun. You don't get a second option. You don't get a dress rehearsal. Life is life. And afterwards, there will be consequences for the choices that we make. I'd like you to turn with me in a, to a couple of portions in the Bible that can help us to address the question of what happens when we die. In fact, there are remarkably few examples of people who have died and come back in the Bible. I'll talk about that in a moment. But for the moment, you need to first of all find the Old Testament. It's the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet who lived in the 5th century BC um, and was writing and prophesying talking to the people about God, around about 535, 520, around that period. I'm going to read to you a few verses from Daniel chapter 12, and then we're going to turn to the New Testament to two different uh, passages. If somebody's with you and has a Bible and isn't familiar with it, please help them find Daniel chapter 12. Don't be embarrassed about not knowing where that book is. I'm going to read just the first um, three verses of Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, that is the Jews. Everyone who believed, uh, and everyone who is found in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the day, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars, forever and ever. Now please turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Chapter 23. And the scene that I want to just bring a brief reading from is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This innocent man 
and the Son of God is being murdered by the Roman authorities with the support and the encouragement of the Jewish leadership. And on either side of him are two people who are being murdered by crucifixion as well. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanging there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now turn to the third reading. It's a book that's quite hard to find. It's the book of Hebrews. You may need somebody just to help you with that. Chapter 10, please. Verse 26. For if we willfully persist in sin, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who have spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace? For we know the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. My name is Malcolm and I lead the church here at Dundonald and I'd like to talk to you for 25 minutes or so about what happens when we die. Where's God when we die? The Bible says surprising little about that subject. What we know is that after we die there is a reality beyond our imagination that we enter into. For those of you that are interested in Bible study, as far as I can make out, there are 10 stories in the whole of the Bible of people who have died and been brought back to life. The phrase for that is they've been resurrected or they've been revived. The first is the widow of Zarephath. The story is told in 1 Kings chapter 17. The second is a Shunammite woman and her story is told in 2 Kings chapter 4. Then there is a man who is thrown into the tomb of a prophet called Elisha. Then there is, in the New Testament, a son of a widow in a town called Nain. You can read the story in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. 
Then there was the story of a synagogue leader's daughter. The man's name was Jairus. That story is told in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. Then there is the story of a man called Lazarus, Jesus' friend. And that story is told in John chapter 11. Seventhly, there's a story of a woman called Tabitha or Dorcas. And her story is told in Acts chapter 9, how she died and was brought back to life. And then in Acts chapter 20, a young man called Eutychus, who fell asleep when the Apostle Paul was preaching and fell out a window and was brought back to life, is told in verses 7 to 12 of Acts chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was dying on the cross, we are told that the tombs around Jerusalem split open and 500 people walked alive who had been dead. All of those people, all nine of those examples, are people who were alive, died, and were revived and came back to life, and then died again. There's only one person who has died and come back and has never died again, and he is Jesus Christ himself. The interesting thing about that, and I don't want to get into any controversy with you this evening, is this. There's an awful lot of books that you can buy now about the stories of heaven and what happens when people died and are brought back to life, yet none of the people in the Bible told their story. I wonder why that is. None of them made a fortune out of the stories that they told. None of them described what they saw. None of them. Not even Jesus. So I would be wary, if I were you, about the stuff that I read, assuming that what they describe is word perfect and true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I would just be wary. Because I was, I've always figured that if somebody was going to tell the story of what life after death was like, it was probably going to be one of the people that died and was revived in the Bible. And yet none of them tell us. So there's a mystery about this. But what is certain is that you will die. Christians have a, a strong conviction that death is not the end. To help you understand why we believe that, I want to explain some of it to you tonight. The reality is that Christian theology, what we think about God and what we believe, has a conviction that human beings are made up of three distinct parts. There is our physical body, our hands, our skin, our eyes, our hair, um, the bits that make us physically present. There is our spirit and there is our soul. And Christian theology believes that death may be the end of our bodies for a while, but it is not the end of our souls. That when we die, something happens to our soul. Death is the separation of our body from our soul. It's not the end of our personhood altogether. Our bodies become lifeless. They're planted in the ground like a seed. And out of that seed, something else will grow. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he likens the physical body of a human being to the seed of a flower. And he says, when we die, the seed of our body is planted in the ground. And on resurrection day, which I will look at more in more detail next Sunday night, it's going to be a terrific evening of encouragement and inspiration that will lift your heart. On resurrection day, that seed will grow into something that we can't even begin to understand or imagine if we're Christians. Our bodies are planted lifeless in the ground. I'm conscious that some of us have gone through this recently, and therefore I don't want to bring you distress. Tonight I want to bring you hope. 
Well, at the moment that we breathe our last, our souls, the essence of who we are, what we are, goes somewhere else. And the somewhere else depends on the choices that we make. I want you to turn in the Bible for a moment to a book in the New Testament written by a man called the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To help you understand some of what I'm going to say over the next few minutes. Paul is talking about living by faith. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. I'm going to read it again. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each day may, each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. That little passage tells us a whole range of things. First of all, it tells us that the Apostle Paul, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, had such a strong conviction about life after death that when he wrote this letter, he said to the people that he was writing to, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be somewhere else than be here. It's a better place to be. It's a better position to find myself in. But I'm here. So whether I'm here or there, wherever there is, and we'll talk about there in a minute, I'm going to live for God and for Christ. And when I am there, and I'll pick this up in about 10 minutes or so, he says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will stare into the eyes of Almighty God. Every human being that has ever lived. You, everyone in your family, everyone who's ever put foot in Northern Ireland, every human being who has ever lived will stare into the face of Almighty God. A little bit of what we saw in the drama. And in that moment, there will be consequences for the choices that we made, the priorities that we set, and the way that we lived. Including you, Christian. Every one of us will give an account to God for the priorities that we set and the way that we lived. That's why the Apostle Paul, talking to Christians, said, I want my life to please him. Did you note what it says in verse 10? For all of us must appear before the judgment creed of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So your life, the choices and the priorities that you set have an eternal significance. 
They'll impact what happens to you when you die. Now, I want to suggest five simple things. I could talk for hours and we'd end up very confused. I want to suggest five simple things that Christianity teaches about what happens when we die. In the hope that it will encourage those of you that are Christians and it will draw those of you that are not watching online or here into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. When we die, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will immediately be taken into the very presence of Christ in heaven. Jesus Christ is in heaven now. We know that from scriptures like Acts chapter 1 verse 2, Acts chapter 3 verse 21, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 and lots of others. He is already there. He is ever living to make intercession for us. The resurrected Jesus is somewhere. He still has a body. He's not just some kind of ethereal spirit that's floating around. I remember when I went to um, a, a little children's um, Bible school, the one I first made a commitment to Christ in, actually, on the Duke Road. I got, I, got, I got an award. I think I've told you this before. I won a goldfish for singing a song about this. I was about six or seven. Here's the song. I still remember it, and I'm now 48 nearly. Somewhere in either space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. Boop, boop, boop. Jesus will come again. Oh, now we don't know when. The countdown's getting lower every day. Ten and nine, eight and seven, six and five and four. Call upon the Lord while you may. Three and two, he's coming through. The Lord is on his way. The countdown's getting lower every day. It's really bad theology. Really bad theology. Somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him and obey. I'm not sure I agree with that at all. But there is this thing that Jesus has a resurrected body and he is somewhere. How many of you know that song, by the way? That is really scary. <laughs> Jesus' resurrected body is somewhere. And the Bible tells us that God the Father sits on a throne. And that Jesus Christ, his son, is standing at the right hand of that throne right now. That he's still alive, that he's still physical, that he still has a body, that the one that went is the one that will come back. I'll look at it all next week, and I can't wait. I wish I could preach it tonight, but you'll be here until two in the morning. And when Christians die, when followers of Jesus Christ die, they go to be with him. I read to you just a moment or two ago a verse from Luke chapter 23 about a man who died with Jesus. A thief that said... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned and said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not in six months, not in an eternity, but today you will be with me in paradise. Now there are some Christians that believe in something called soul sleep. I don't. They teach that when we die, our souls rest in our bodies until Christ returns. I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. Here's the hope that I think God gives all of us who have lost loved ones that have died in Christ. The minute they die, they are with the Lord. 
They're with them now. They're free now. They are themselves now. They are alive now. They are present with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Paul again, I am hard pressed between both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, all present tense, for that is much better, yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And what I just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I would rather be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. The minute we die, the essence of who we are, our soul goes to be with Christ. Our bodies are placed in the ground, lifeless, organic matter. In the words of the East Belfast man, C.S. Lewis, like a winter coat that we no longer need, we take off our physical bodies and they're planted in the earth because we're entering a place where there is never going to be winter again. And we don't need a winter coat. But one day, that body will be brought back to life in a powerful and remarkable way and our souls will be receiving new bodies. The Bible talks about it either at the end of time or when Christ returns, which will usher in the end of time, the dead in Christ will rise first. I'll come to it in a second or two. But if you are a Christian tonight, when you die, death itself is not even an interruption. You, absolutely, you exit this life and you enter life with Christ, complete and full and free. More alive than you've ever been. More fully yourself than you've ever been. More capable of living than you've ever been. Imagine a perfect version of me. I can't wait. No wonder Paul could say that he looked forward to it, that he was anticipating it, that he was excited about it. And yet we cling to life, don't we? Give me another pill, give me another treatment, anything to keep me from dying. I understand that. Somebody was to tell me that I was facing death now. I'd be taking every treatment I could. I'd be chasing every medication I could because I want to see my children grow up. I want to be part of my family. I want to see all of that happen. Most of us are like that, aren't we? But in the midst of it, we can lose the hope of eternal life, of a life where we are completely united and completely free and completely ourselves. Secondly, heaven the place where God dwells, the kingdom of God's reign and rule is so beautiful, is so life-giving, is so awe-inspiring that the words in the Bible run out to try and describe it. Take the book of Revelation as an example. The apostle John is trying to describe heaven. So he describes it as having streets of gold. He decides, describes it in language which just simply runs out. He, he, he can't find words in Aramaic or Greek to explain what he's seeing. But when we read it, we discover this. It is so resplendent, so beautiful, so breathtakingly alluring. That the things that we consider to be most valuable here are nothing but concrete and dirt in this new reality. We walk on the gold. Like you walk on a piece of dirt. It's so beautiful that the Apostle John said this, I has not seen, nor has ear heard the wonders of that which is in store for us. 
writing to a group of people in modern-day Turkey, a place called Ephesus. In 1 John chapter 3, this old man, John, who had walked with Jesus and talked with him and knew him and wanted to encourage his followers, said this, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. Everyone who has this hope purifies themselves. God dwells in light. He dwells in purity. He dwells in holiness and life. Everything flows from him. He upholds the universe with his powerful hand. And when believers die, they become part of that community in heaven with him forever. Thirdly, even after we have died and before Christ has returned, and I want you to think about this because I'm going to have to do a little bit of theology with you in the next few minutes. We still anticipate resurrection. Those that have died in Christ and are in heaven now are awaiting a moment. They're not going to remain bodiless souls for eternity. They're going to be clothed with new bodies. And the Bible explains to us exactly where those new bodies come from. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're thinking, how can the dead be raised? Don't worry. I've been asking that for 2,000 years. A friend of mine wrote a book about this. Uh, his name is Tom Wright. And he says, you know, when we modern people approach resurrection and life after death, we approach it with questions as if we're the first people to ask questions about this. It wasn't very normal for people to be raised from the dead when Jesus was alive either, folks. It's not like it's suddenly become unusual. It's always been unusual. It's always been hard to explain. It's always taken faith to believe. It's not harder for us than it was for them. It was just as hard for them. Listen to what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a, it's a long reading, but I think it's important. Verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Full. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike. But there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. By the way, a reason I'm not an evolutionist. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, stars differ from star to star in glory. So far, so good. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Listen to this. Oh my goodness. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last man Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. 
As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thank you, Harry. Christians believe that in the end it will all be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And there is a moment when our lives, our bodies, are raised out of the ground. And we are given a new, imperishable, and immortal body. And we will be forever free. Where is God when I die? Well, I will be with him the moment I die. And the moment the sun returns, which I will unpack next week, I will be clothed in an imperishable, immortal body that will never rot, that will never decay, that will never be subject to the elements or change ever again. And you might think it sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings. It is the most hopeful, life-giving, joy-giving reality. Who would have thought that a boring old sunflower seed could produce a sunflower? Who would have thought that a tomato seed, I don't even like tomato seeds, could produce something as remarkable as a tomato. Or a tiny mustard seed, if it was on my finger you wouldn't see it, could produce a tree which is enormous and complex and beautiful. Not to be too delicate, who would have thought that a single sperm could have produced you? And we're all so different. And what God has promised is that he will clothe us with a new body. And we'll never be separated from him again. The dead, in the words of the Apostle Paul, will be raised imperishable. This is a great hope for me. It's a great promise. But I have to be honest, not all of my family have, who have died, I don't know if they were all Christians. I know that some of them were. If you've lost someone who's a Christian, hold on to the hope of it. It's the greatest gift. No matter what the circumstances of their death, you're only separated for a while. It is the greatest gift. And if you're the son or the daughter or the husband or the wife or the mother or the father of a believer, you're watching online or you're in this room, what will happen to you when you die? Will you be united with Christ? We're promised 
a new body. We're promised that we will spend eternity with God. Fourthly, in that moment of death, Christians are freed from their sin. They're freed from the constrictions of life. They're freed from the challenges. They're freed from the very presence of sin. They will never sin again. (laughs) They will never struggle again. They'll never go through conflict again. They'll never have to work out everything again. They are free. They're free to be the person that God made them to be. They're free from judgment of other people. They're free from fear. They're free from anxiety. They're free from worry. They're free from sorrow. They're free from suffering. They're free from struggling. Christians are freed from their sin in the moment of their death. They are brought to a place of perfection where they finally and fully become all that God wanted them to be. That's why for a Christian, death is not a defeat. Death is a victory. I want you to turn for a moment to Hebrews chapter 2. This verse has changed my life. Verse 14. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is encouraged him to see that Jesus is better than everything else. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things. Listen to this. So that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Christ has defeated the fear of death in the life of the believer by dying and then rising again. By swallowing up its fear. There's nobody in this room that loves death. Because we weren't made for death. We were made for life. So when death interjects into our lives, we feel it sting. We don't want to lose the people that we love. We ourselves don't want to die. Because we weren't made for death. We were made for life. The greatest fear of the human heart is death. What happens after it? People dream about it, think about it, talk about it. But nobody knows. Because nobody's come back. But there is one story of someone other than the Son of God who didn't say anything about what he'd done while he was away. It's a parable. It's of a man called Dives and a man called Lazarus. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 22 to 26. I'm going to start reading at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. That means into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. 
But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The parable is clear. There is a chasm between two eternal states. Heaven, where God is, according to the scriptures. And hell, where God is not, according to the scriptures. And they are two destinations, and you will end up in one of them. Which one depends on your choice? My fifth point is, those who have not put their faith in Christ and have not trusted in his grace will live with the consequences of their choices and they will be separated from God forever. This isn't a one-off part of the Bible's story. Jesus describes it as the separation of tares and wheat, of sheep and goats. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. John chapter 3, verse 36. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And in the reading that I brought to you from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 29, we read this. It is appointed unto people once to die and after that the judgment. And so I return to where we began. You will stand before the judgment seat of God. The Greek word used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that describes that judgment seat is the Bema seat. It's a word that was used in Roman culture for a courtroom. And it was the seat that the governor sat on. It's the seat that the governor was sitting on in Acts chapter 18 verses 12 to 17 when Paul appeared before him in Corinth. And you can still see that Bema seat today. It's still there. And when the governor sat on that seat, he decided sentences. He let people go free. He imprisoned people. He condemned some to death and he gave some life dependent on their crimes. The Bible tells us that God himself sits on such a seat. And that Christ sits on the judgment seat on behalf of his father in Romans chapter 14 verses 10 to 12. And you will stand before him. And give an account for your choices. And God will not say to you, how many people were you nice to? How many good things did you do? How many times were you kind and compassionate? You deserve a space in heaven. Come on in. God will look for the sign of one thing on your life. The sign of the blood of Jesus Christ. Whether you're gay or straight, whether you're black or white, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you class yourself as a gooden or a badden, 
Whether you come from a perfect family or a broken family, whether you've never done a thing wrong or you make mistakes all the time, the only thing that marks us as separate and assures a place in eternity is are we covered with the blood of Jesus Christ? And if we are, then where is God when we die? We will be with him forever. And if we are not, then we will be separated from him forever. Your parents can't make this choice for you, and you can't make it for your parents. God has no grandchildren. You must make this decision for yourself. Watching online or in this room, you must make this for yourself, but listen to me. If you make it, if you surrender yourself to him, then immediately you are given this assurance. Immediately your destiny is different. Immediately you have the hope of a life with God forever. If I could, I would lift you and carry you in to the courts of heaven. But I can't do that. I said earlier on, I'm not sure where all of my family are. There's a hope in that too, you know. In the time it takes a person to fall off a horse and hit the ground, John Wesley used to say, if they call on God for grace, they will be redeemed. If the last thing they did with their last breath was call out to God for mercy, then they will be in heaven. I believe it with all my heart. That's why you will never hear me saying ever, that I can make a judgment about somebody being in a lost eternity. Never. I can never make that judgment. But have you made that decision? When we die, God stands with open arms, ready to receive us, whether he embraces us or not, will depend on whether we have embraced him or not. So have you? At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Those of you that don't yet know him, I'm going to ask you to surrender your lives to him. Those of you that do know him and have wandered away, I'm going to ask you to return to him, here or online. But I want to just say one thing before I ask Aaron McKaig to come and sing a song that I've asked him to sing this evening called No More Night. For those of us that are Christians, we will be delivered from the ability to sin. We will be set free from sorrow and shame and heartbreak. We will be united with those that we have loved who have gone ahead of us. We will be fully known. We will be able to see and understand God in ways that we've only ever dreamt of. We will have no more struggles. We'll have no more physical struggles, no more emotional struggles, no more mental struggles, no more relational struggles, no more inner conflicts, no sense of doubt or anxiety or fear. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sorrow will be swallowed up. Every heartbreak will be healed. Every question will be answered. This is the great, powerful, beautiful promise for all who have trusted God through Jesus Christ. And I would love you to share in that great and beautiful promise with me.
And when you are facing a life that is difficult and hard, and you are tired and sad, I know how distant that reality can feel. When you have lost a loved one 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, death still hurts. But there is a hope, an indestructible, life-giving hope for followers of Jesus Christ. And as Aaron sings this song, reflect on it before I come back and invite you to make a response. a dream God will make all things new that day gone is the curse from which I stumbled and fell evil is banished into eternal There's a man. 
that's prepared just for me where I will live with my Savior eternally and there will be Now you must make a decision. I pray you make the right one. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. For those joining online, who do not know you or who have wandered away, please bring life and grace to their hearts. Give them courage to follow you again or for the first time. And for those in this room, give us the courage to say we will follow you to the end. Move by the power of your spirit amongst us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, would you, as we sing, oh, come to the altar. Then I'm going to ask you whether you're willing to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ.